welcome to Future of Journalism, a podcast from the Rogers Institute for the Study of Journalism at the University of Oxford. I am Diego Arguedas Ortiz. I am the Network Manager at the Oxford Climate Journalism Network. And in this episode, we'll explore climate journalism with the help of three guests. I am joined by Lisangela Mendoza from Brazil, who is an environment reporter at the Bureau of Investigative Journalism, Ethan Bendimin, a journalist from the Daily Maverick in South Africa, and Krisha Subin-Subin, a reporter with Philippine Daily Inquirer in the Philippines. Lisangela, Ethan, and Krisha, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for having us. It's great. I feel so fancy. Thank you for having me. I'm glad you're here. Six months ago, the three of you were part of the group who joined us for the first cohort at the Oxford Climate Journalism Network. And between January and June, we held online events every two weeks with um, 100 reporters, including the three of you, from all over the world. And we hosted dozens of informal calls online. And our mission together was to collectively attempt to make climate journalism better, more interesting, more effective, and more relevant to the audiences. And over the course of the six months, I think we managed to think a lot about that, and we managed to really explore the way climate journalism works. We met with leading climate scientists and experts to learn how the crisis is reshaping our understanding of global health, of climate justice and finance, just sitting a few. And I think more importantly, we also debated and brainstormed how to meet the challenge of covering these stories well and what the climate conscious newsroom on the future might look like. And I want to start by asking you, can you tell us about your experience at the network? How was it for you guys to have this experience six months uh, with the cohort? Uh, to be perfectly honest, I was so terrified at first. <laughs> I was very scared uh, at the start of the program. You know, almost immediately when we began our classes, I can already sense that most of my classmates have been covering climate reporting for years. So. Um, because I wasn't really an environmental reporter at the start, I felt like a fraud for, you know, be, even being here. Um, there was Sniff, there was uh, Jessica, Stephen, Joan, um, Sahana, and of course my two classmates here. They already seemed uh, very entrenched in climate reporting already. So I was very scared of being out of depth with the lectures. But then as the weeks went on, I was very grateful that Reuters Institute and Oxford were kept true to their word when they first called for applications for this particular cohort that the classes in the workshops will be tailored precisely so that people who don't necessarily cover climate change will be able to understand the issue as well. So it was very fascinating listening to how climate intersects with, for example, gender-based issues. So how women and children tend to be the most vulnerable during disasters, how it's linked to mental health. Um, what I also noticed is that each lecture was very logically linked to one another, and you never felt like this particular course was just shoehorned into the six-month course, just so you could fill up the schedule. And what I also appreciated about the program was that I've met people who I otherwise would not have met if I wasn't part of the cohort. So apart from Diego and Catherine, and of course my classmates, um, I never would have imagined sitting in a lecture being headed by the likes of Dr. Anthony Feinstein, Dr. O'Neill, uh, Lorena Gonzalez. So um, it's the kind of network that really provides you opportunities to be connected with, with 
sources and people that you would that otherwise would not have been made available to you. But to be clear, though, the Philippines does not have a shortage of like resources. We have a lot of brilliant scientists. We have a lot of community organizers and climate activists. But of course, it's very important to be linked with global experts so that you can be able to listen to what they have to offer, listen to the global solutions that they have, and think about how it can be emulated and linked to local practices here. Thank you very much. Yeah, the point about the local expert was something that Yanine, our colleague at the network, also uh, made a lot. Um, Ethan, how was it for you? So it's hard to follow that. I was pretty comprehensive, but uh, I, I agree with, with, with most of those sentiments. Um, for me, it's a unique situation where I, I come from a background where I was really a political reporter, parliamentary reporter, and then I essentially had done only six months of on the beat of just uh, climate change and the climate crisis and, and environmental reporting more generally. And I sort of went on a process of like uh, self-education, um, familiarizing myself with the, the different terms and, and the science and understanding things. So then when I, I'm just now at, at the end of my first year, so the, the second half was with the OCGN, JN, and, and, and what happened was that was sort of like the, uh, in, in a sense, it was like a formal education, just reiterating what I had learned and, and reinforcing it, but also um, expanding on what I thought I knew uh, in the best possible way. Like I, I always say that I had no idea about attribution quite frankly, I had no idea that attribution science had evolved or, or progressed to the point where um, specific extreme weather events can be rapidly attributed to the, uh, as, an, as an impact of global warming and, and climate change. And that's just one example. Um, I think it was just, it was, it was really good. It was, it never felt too formal. Uh, it wasn't, uh, I, I just I I have nothing but good things to say. Quite frankly, I think it was uh, it was an, an education in the best possible way. I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. Um, and Elisangela, you are by no means a newcomer to environmental reporting. How was the experience for you? Well, uh, as my colleague said, the, this course was a unique uh, and fantastic opportunity to learn with the training sessions, to learn from colleagues uh, from around the world and, and to network with them. Uh, I think this is a, this is a big, uh, this is a big uh, benefit. Uh, this is a great benefit from the program. But most of all, I think that this program gave me some sort of binoculars to look into the future. Um, at least the future that I really hope that we can have uh, when covering the climate crisis. Um, it's a future where journalists with um, diverse backgrounds, uh, working in different beats, not only in science or environment. Um, um, so these journalists will try to embed uh, the discussions and the reporting on climate in everything they do. Um, so the, the most important lesson from this experience for me was that um, climate reporting can't be um, this add-on uh, to our usual reporting. Uh, so the, the, the crisis is very much real, right? So uh, as journalists, our mission should be um, to help everyone take it seriously. 
So it was very, for me, it was very energizing to see my colleagues from around the world. So we were 100 journalists uh, from different places in the world um, working tirelessly to meet this challenge. And this reality um, uh, is the reality that I want to see everywhere when, when I use these binoculars. Um, this is the inspiration that the network brought to me and, and um, I intend to continue to apply it to my work and, and everything I do. That's very nice to hear because the idea of climate journalism being in every desk of the newsroom is actually what we were aiming for when we started the network. And um, I'd like to hear from you because, Angela, you mentioned a bit about this, but from all of you, how did your approach to climate journalism change after six months of the cohort? What, what changed in the way you saw how journalism covers climate change? Well, I am in a very privileged position at the Bureau of Investigative Journalism. So as an investigative journalist, I'm, I'm an environment reporter. Uh, my beat prioritizes the climate reporting. Um, and I have the full support of my team and my editors, which is something that I, I could learn from this experience. That's not something that's common everywhere. So many journalists struggle uh, with the lack of support and, and attention from their teams or their, their managers in different newsrooms. So our investigations, they try to shed light on the impact of global food production, on the environment, and uh, as we know, something that's often overlooked uh, when we talk about emissions, right? Uh, but this experience gave me perspective um, and, made me, and made me think a lot about how we can convey the message, for example. So it really opened my eyes to the fact that we, we have to try and test and experiment with new formats uh, to actually engage people and catch their attention in a world where, well, attention is, is, this, um, is this golden coin, um, you know, that's not easily trade, traded because uh, we have so many stimulus everywhere and catching people's attention is is increasingly more difficult. So I think my it changed my approach in the way I think about how to wrap up my stories and my investigations, how to deliver them. Um, I think this was this was my main takeaway. Hmm. Thanks for that. Uh, Tricia and Ethan, do you have any? Yeah, sure. Um, although it's hard to follow what Miss Angela said, but as she said, um, the course really got us to think about how we can experiment with the ways that we tell our stories. Um, for example, I think near the end of our six-year program, a uh, six-month program, we had an audio storytelling workshop, I think with Jessica. Um, that was very interesting to me because up until that point, a lot of climate reporters have told us that, you know, climate change is first and foremost a visual story. So the, often the way we imagine climate change is when we see photographs or videos of disasters, floods, tsunamis, etc. So that workshop really opened my eyes in how we can use audio in being able to connect deeper with our audiences in ways that um, photographs or videos may not be able to do that. In fact, up until that point, I did not really think about how viscerally powerful audio can be, you know, hearing the voices of disaster victims talk about uh, sorry, disaster survivors talk about uh, their experiences and their resolve to move forward, 
uh, the use of background music or natural sound to heighten affect in, te- in telling the stories. I personally have not yet uh, explored audio storytelling. So moving forward, I plan to use that and incorporate that in the climate reporting I will be doing with the newsroom. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I love that workshop as well. And I love having Jessica's voice coming in, in Portuguese in a way that doesn't come into the into the conversations in English. And just, yeah, seeing the variety of like languages people working in the, in the network as well was, was really brilliant. How about you, Ethan? Yeah, I think I'd be saying once again, hard to follow or the what everything that has been said already. But I think I, I really did also have the takeaway that um, the climate crisis sort of does intersect with so many other issues. Here in South Africa, we have political issues, corruption, energy security issues, rampant criminality, and all of these issues that 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 would otherwise crowd out the attention. Uh, as Angela mentioned, you know, attention is a commodity, essentially, and um, it's hard to grab that. And especially with climate change in in South Africa, it's seen as something that is a problem for future generations. Maybe not so much recently. I think it is being appreciated more um, for the threat that it is today but there's so many issues that are happening today right now that are visible people are dying children are dying in taverns Um, i'm sure you've seen that news it's all over the world Um, there's so many things that people understandably would focus on rather than this idea of uh, the weather being more dangerous or there being these, these climatic impacts or um, farming in the future being unsustainable or impossible. So linking our activities of today and the stories of today with a, with a, into the climate nexus um, and realizing the importance and that it's possible and the possibility of doing that, I think has been really good for me. Um, so now we can write a story about our power load shedding, which is basically rolling blackouts that, that South Africa has where we don't have enough energy and the power goes out. Um, there's a political nexus, but there's also an environmental connect, um, connection because it's related to our coal power and all of this. So I think the, the network has been really good in, in helping me to think of creative ways to, uh, you know, claw back some of that attention that would otherwise be spread out uh, amongst the myriad other issues that South Africa has. Yeah, I mean, an issue we had in the semester or was how do we connect climate coverage with, for instance, the war in Ukraine, which was overtaking coverage in all the I remember like several of our, mem- of our members, including you, Ethan, were relocated at some point to cover the war in Ukraine out of your usual beats because there was just too much going on there that needed our attention as newsrooms and this attention issue is just a challenge as we cover climate change how we connect climate change with other issues we're happening right now you discussed the three of you the network and the members and i think Angela mentioned also the community and in our piece we published yesterday at the institute we discussed the value of positive communities in journalism and i wanted to ask 
in your view, in your experience, why is having a community relevant or important when covering climate change for reporters? So it's, it's, a t- it's a tough one. I think that uh, just generally, I think if you mean like having a community, we can't operate in silos, first of all. I think just this just goes back to my previous point about how interlinked these issues are and then trying to take on all of this um all of the the rigors and and dealing with the rigors and the stresses of trying to process the complexity of the climate crisis and just the general news environment it's important to have these resources that you can refer to for whatever your your needs are i i i'm not sure exactly how i would be able to best best articulate this but uh, i think it is important great thank you um kishia maybe you can go ahead just to add to what he has said yeah uh, i think communities are important you know for obvious reasons because they help provide support to journalists who are covering one of the toughest subjects in the world. Um, we're living in a place where there are a lot of communities, other groups that believe that climate change is not real, that it's a conspiracy theory. And sometimes they go so far as to try to undermine the work that we do. And not to mention corporations or lobbyists that uh, engage in greenwashing those who wish to evade um, accountability for the climate crisis. And there have been many reports that environmental defenders and environmental journalists are often at risk uh, in the light of duty because of this. So obviously having communities is a big help because then you'd have people who would champion your work, uh, amplify and broaden the reach of your stories uh, and vice versa. And I think that such communities do not necessarily be exclusive only to journalists. You can have environmental activists in that community, fellow environmental defenders, other community organizers who can also help champion the work that we do. Uh, So essentially, communities are great if you want to have people who have your back. And that can be a huge relief in the kind of work that we do. Yeah, this is a brilliant point, Krisha. Yeah, I I completely agree. Um, I think as journalists, we have this mammoth challenge ahead of us. Right, so covering covering the climate crisis is a high stakes task, but we are also people, although some people would disagree, but journalists are also people and we also feel hopeless sometimes. We also feel frustrated with politicians and, and their blah, blah, blah. Um, sometimes the lack of engagement of our audience really hurts us because we feel powerless. So having having a community and having peers who are there for you um, and and help you find your center, I think is key. Um, so during this this uh, experience with the Oxford Climate uh, Journalism Network, we had this brilliant surprise. Uh, well, at least it was really surprising to me that uh, we had a session on on mental health, uh, for example, and. It was a session where we shared our pains and our vulnerabilities openly. 
So it was a it was an experience that really made it clear how how as journalists we lack um, strong community and how this interaction and having peers to talk about the issues that we all face is, is so important. So what's the importance of community? Oh, it's, it's the utmost um, important thing to have um, as journalists. Yeah, that session on mental health is one of my favorites for this semester. It, it really brought home the sense that this is a shared experience by, by many of the reporters in the, in the network, all of them, I think. And but it was also so nicely grounded on science. Dr. Feinstein brought his evidence and he was very like empathetic, but also very science-based. And I really liked that. And I, liked, I want to ask you, what was your favorite session or, or moment or Farsa chats? Because we had different kinds of uh, had workshops with Farsa chats, with seminars. Out of the sessions we had in the six months, which one do you enjoy, enjoy the most? Um, I, I think the mental health session was was one of my favorites, but I really liked the engagement with the fireside chat that we have about um, politics and climate change. So the politicization of climate change that we had and everybody was very energetic and, and, and engaged with, with the discussion. So um, I learned a lot because, you know, I, I could understand how different countries face similar issues um, with the polarization of the climate crisis and how the elections play a very important role, uh, will play a very important role to the future. Um, so these were one of my, well, two of my favorites, but I, I really liked the uh, climate justice session as well. So it was really, really powerful. I think Alessandra and I share the same favorite classes too. I, I, I think the reason why the mental health course resonated with a lot of us was because for the entire six months, a lot of the courses were geared towards how do we better Im improve our reporting? And then suddenly there's this course that lets us look into ourselves and ask us to assess how the reporting is impacting us. So it really hit close to home. And I guess that's the reason why it, it was one of the most impactful uh, seminars that we've had. And as I mentioned, I particularly liked also the audio storytelling workshop because I really like it when journalists share the ways that they've experimented with storytelling. And of course, it really, it's really inspiring to hear from one of our classmates, not from one of the lecturers that were invited to speak for the program. Just to hear how our own classmates have been dealing with uh, the challenges of reporting climate change to their audiences. Yeah, once again, not much to add, but uh, all the the mental health for me was 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 really good for the reasons outlined. It was just um, so important to just take stock of where you are mentally, and it was it was it was really affirming, quite frankly, to just uh, know that so many of my colleagues. Uh, are experiencing similar uh, mental states and that uh, go through the, these challenges and that uh, feelings and, and reactions to events and news and the process of the news is, is, is normal. To, to have that affirmation was, was, was really nice. But uh, once again, let me also just say this, I enjoyed attribution 
immensely. Dr. Arthur was amazing just because um, I went in there unsure, uncertain about what I was going to learn. Well, not, not exactly. Obviously, I had done the readings, but just uh, the, the whole process of, of learning about attribution was something that was completely new to me. Like, I was so focused on understanding the science of climate change and climate justice and climate finance and all these other things in, um, in my uh, time prior to joining the, the network. But then going through that and being confronted with the uh, attribution and just like seeing this whole other aspect of science I hadn't even realized had developed to this point and then finding out that um, it, it had a role in, 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 in my own country, for example, with the city I'm in right now, Cape Town, we had a, a major drought uh, that was called day zero, which is basically at the point to which we would no, no longer be able to, the taps would run in, empty, basically. We'd no longer have water, the first major city in the world to completely run out of water, and that was a threat. And then I found out later through an attribution study I had determined that that was made more likely because of climate change. So, I mean, it was a, a, full, a full circle for me. I, I learned about it and then realized I was a, a, a case study, I suppose. So, yeah, there was a lot, a lot. Yeah. That's fascinating. I, I actually, I felt for years that climate science were like settled in a way. And when attribution came along and listened to Dr. Otto, I was like, holy, that's just more thing coming. I mean, this is a fantastic step and her session was amazing for it as well. And um, yeah, the one from Jessica Myers from Polo Sao Paulo on audio storytelling is, yeah, it really shows the way you can bring story to a new format, as Klisha said. I want to maybe wrap up with your views on how can what, how can journalism improve its coverage of climate change? If, if you have something to share with other reporters covering climate change, what do they need to know? How can we, how can we make it better? I think one of the main takeaways I've learned from this course is that climate change reporting need not be an overwhelming experience. So, of course, it always has to be rooted in the science, and we always hope that the stories that we do lead to helpful policies and programs that will help resolve the crisis but it is first and foremost a human story and i think that's why we've taken so much pain in understanding the intersections of climate change um, not just the difficult aspects of climate negotiations but like how climate change intersects with you know human experience so i think as soon as reporters understand how systems and uh, structures can either make a community resilient or vulnerable to climate-related uh, disasters, then the better the storytelling will become. Yeah, I, I, I agree with Krisha. I think humanizing the coverage of climate change is key. But I would add that we should, we should rely on data and research on how the, the audience reacts to climate reporting to make our, our own editorial decisions. Um, so we know that there is climate fatigue, fatigue with people avoiding this type of news, and we have to respond to that. 
I think I think we we all feel um, as humans we feel that well we we prefer to engage with threatening information if there's also a solution attached to it if a solution is provided or a way to address a problem is also provided so maybe maybe we should also think about always inserting some ideas on how to fix these problems when we talk about it. Um, maybe this is a long answer to say that solutions journalism may be, may be a way of, of improving our coverage of climate change, in my view. Thanks, Alessandra. How about you, Ethan? Yeah, just to add on, on what, what, what has already been said, I think that um, centering people and the impacts on on lives and is 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 really important i think uh, i think a lot of it can get uh, caught up in 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 the science and the, the the projected impacts but it's important to center um how this is going to impact people who the most the most vulnerable amongst us and um, not only the most vulnerable but that is the case i suppose if you're reporting from the global south or uh, south africa like as in my case but i think it's uh if you if you focus on if you should if you highlight those voices i think that does a lot uh, people tend to connect with the stories of others more than uh, scientific or physical abstractions of of science and, and and I think another thing that we should be be wary of as journalists is is to be uh, doomists. I don't know if that's a word, but um, if we if we write about make 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 every article seem like doom and gloom, it does sort of turn people off of, of the, the journalism. And I think there are ways to do that. There might be just adjusting your frame. So maybe it doesn't necessarily have to be solutions journalism, but it can be. I think one of the ways to do that is instead of saying, this is the world is going to be way hotter and the sea levels are going to rise, rather perhaps frame it in a way that says, but we could also have a world where we have abundant renewable energy and a world that's hyper-connected, electrified with clean energy. Those are equally possible realities that uh, are dependent on the decisions we make today. Um, so I think it's uh, how we frame things is important and um, just always trying to gear our stories and the, and our focus towards the people who are who are impacted who are going to be impacted how are they going to be impacted and and you got to show people your audience why this is important you got to tell them why this is important how this is going to affect them and i think um the work will do the rest just sorry, just one thing that came to my mind when Ethan was mentioning this, how we frame this problem is that I think we were discussing this in the group and with, with the other fellows uh, some days ago, 
about the cover of some newspapers, uh, how they are covering the heat wave in Europe and the selection of pictures uh, this time is starting to feel more to feel different from what what has been done historically. So usually newspapers bring people, you know, at the beach, um, enjoying the sun during a heat wave as, you know, as an example of, of well, use these pictures to show and to cover the, the, the crisis, to cover these extreme events. Whilst now you start to see some newspapers uh, changing the mindset about it. So they, The Guardian, for example, was... Um, well brought a selection of pictures, like a mosaic of pictures on people actually struggling with the heat wave in Europe. So people suffering with the extreme weather to, to show that this is a real problem. So I think we have a lot to be done. Um, we have a lot to do, but things are starting to change. And I think we also have to look into things more optimistically, I, I, I guess. Um, and I, I can see that there is a, there's a will to change the way that we frame this. So, um, so it's, it's, it's good uh, to see these examples, you know. Just to add to what Alessandra said, actually, that was what I wanted to talk about earlier, that, you know, from what I've noticed from our discussions in the past six months is that Climate journalists already know how to improve um, climate coverage. Uh, we've made it multimedia. We've lessened the jargon. We've explored a lot of formats to make it more relatable and engaging to our audiences. But um, I think what has to be done now is how do we engage our newsroom managers and get them on the same page? Because you know we can produce all the best reporting that we can, we can produce massive earth-shattering investigations all we want. But if our newsrooms do not provide institutional support, if they, they could carry on with the traditional way of framing climate change, then we might never get anywhere. So um, I think OCEJN has already made moves to that. I think I if I remember correctly, the applications for the cohorts specifically also called for newsroom managers or people who make institutional decisions inside the newsrooms. And I think that's one great way of involving the decision makers and get them on the table so that they can better understand how urgent and how important the story is so that the journalists who actually cover climate change can get the story that they need and produce the stories that they have to. I'm going to leave with that idea of like involving newsroom managers and decision makers, because in the end, we need to restructure the way we conceive newsrooms and the way newsrooms uh, approach climate coverage. But I also want to take two other ideas, this idea of like centering people's people, people's stories, our climate stories, and Elisangela's metaphor of like using binoculars to just look into the future of journalism. That this is, this is ideally how it looked like, having reporters from every desk and every field interested in covering climate change. Thank you, Ethan, Elisangela, and Kisha for joining us today. It's fantastic to have us on our podcast. Thank you so much for having us, and we look forward to the podcast. Thank you so much. It was a great, great pleasure to, to speak to you today. Thanks. Thanks. It was, a, it was a pleasure. Our guests today were Elisangela Mendoza, an environmental reporter with the Bureau of Investigative Journalism, Ethan Van Diemen, a journalist for the Daily Maverick in South Africa, and Kisha Subin Subin, a reporter with the Philippine Daily Inquirers in the Philippines.
if you're interested in joining the Oxford Climate Journals Network, we will open our application for our January cohort in September. Follow social media of the Reuters Institute if you want to find out more. Thank you all for listening to this episode. You can catch up on other episodes from Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever you get for your podcasts. And if you don't want to miss any news from the Institute, you can subscribe to our newsletter by clicking the link on our Twitter bio or on our homepage. This was Future of Journalism, a podcast by the Reuters Institute. I am Diego Orgaz Ortiz. We'll be back soon. Thank you.